You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Shireen Ghaffari, senior reporter at Recode. Last week on the show, we talked about Trump's executive order and Twitter's decision to fact check and even label his tweets. The content of those tweets was also posted on Facebook. So what's been happening over at Facebook? So there has been a brewing internal debate at Facebook amongst its employees about if they should start doing some of the same things as Twitter. Employees are angry and frustrated with CEO Mark Zuckerberg's handling of some of President Trump's posts that many people claim incited violence. You know, I think employees, a lot of them for the first time, they're becoming really actively engaged in, you know, national conversation about racial justice in this country. And much like everyone else, this is the first time for some people these issues are truly top of mind for them. Many of them are angry and we're seeing kind of an employee uprising like we've never seen before at Facebook. Facebook's actions, or lack thereof, are even more stark since Twitter labeled similar posts from Trump with a warning about the violent content. So on Monday, over 400 Facebook employees uh, staged a virtual walkout. Uh, So they all uh, logged off their work platforms. They changed their uh, avatars on their communications tools to a raised fist in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter protests. And they uh, used this as a time to push leadership to reconsider their views on uh, not fact-checking and not moderating Trump. So 400 employees out of Facebook's more than 40,000 employees... What was the organizational makeup of that group? Were they entry-level employees or top engineers? It's mostly rank and file from what I'm seeing, rank and file engineers, product designers. But we have seen some, for the first time, senior-level employees, meaning directors of product management, directors of product design. Um, These are are relatively high-ranking people within the org, and we are seeing them post publicly on Twitter in solidarity. The head of product design for Facebook's newsfeed, Ryan Friedis, tweeting, quote, Mark is wrong, and I will endeavor in the loudest possible way to change his mind. Jason Sturman, a design manager at Facebook, writing, quote, I'm not alone inside of Facebook. There isn't a neutral position on racism. And that's really unprecedented at a company like Facebook. We've, of course, seen employees protest at other tech companies like Google, for instance. Why do you think we haven't seen these kinds of protests at Facebook specifically? Companies have cultures and Google's culture has been in the past more receptive to kind of open debate, to having these huge long listservs where people are arguing about uh, company policies. But at Facebook, we don't even have really a basis of that culture of like openly questioning the CEO. So when that doesn't happen, um, then something like this is more of a shock to the system because it's not like Google where, you know, you have people debating these kinds of issues every day. This is something new. So what exactly are Facebook employees saying about the company? 
They're saying that for too long, the company has ignored basically the escalating rhetoric of President Trump, um, that it's not applying its own standards consistently around moderating violent speech, and that they're tired of the platform giving kind of an exception to world leaders like Trump because they are deemed newsworthy. So obviously, there are a lot of employees who are voicing their opposition But is anyone at Facebook supportive of these decisions? Have you also heard folks speak out and say, no, this is the right thing to do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've seen and heard many people say, look, in the name of free speech, I think we should let these comments stand and let other people decide uh, whether these comments are appropriate or not, and that Facebook should not be the arbiters of truth. That's sort of the party line at Facebook. Um, However, I think that we are seeing for the first time more and more people question that. You know, you mentioned that a lot of Facebook employees are sort of waking up to the Black Lives Matter movement. Why do you think now is the time where they're waking up and and what took them so long? You know, I will say, I think for many em- employees, particularly employees of color, um, it's it's not that way. You know, I think I'm hearing a lot of Black employees saying, we have been frustrated. This has been building. We have been warning you internally. This is a problem. We have been saying you need to be stronger on hate speech. You need to be stronger on violent mm-hmm. speech toward everyone. So I think for them, this is not this is not a new thing. But I think that this is the story of our time. You know, there is a pandemic going on, but this is the story that is top of the news hour that is uh, impossible to ignore. So there's no coincidence that you're going to see that same level of urgency and uh, ubiquity with with the Facebook employees. In in theory, free speech sounds great. But when in practice, you see the president of your country post something that you viscerally think is wrong and is violent and, and as, you know, a lot of people think is racist. When you see that, then it's hard for you then to come to say, OK, in the name of free speech, um, you know, we should let this stand. And I and it's it's free speech is tricky because really free speech is the right for you to be protected from the government. Right. Facebook and Twitter can ban people and they can take down tweets in whatever way they want because they're not the government. And, and that doesn't mean silencing people. It just means silencing people on their platforms. Exactly. But, you know, Facebook's ethos for a very long time has been to use this concept of free speech really outside of the legal context, but to make it more of a a moral context and say, um, we want to apply the the same principle of free speech that that is meant to protect U.S. citizens from the government to protect the U.S. government really from the people Mm -hmm. Um, and say, you know, we're going to use the concept of free speech to protect President Trump and other world leaders from um, the people's dismay or disgust or or, um, legitimate fears about violent rhetoric. Um, and so that's that's what's being debated right now by their employees. Do employees typically have much power at Facebook? Can they cause real change? I think so. I mean, uh, I think it's definitely debated because at the end of the day, Mark Zuckerberg controls the company. He controls the board. Uh, no one can really fire Mark. Um, however, uh, he needs to run an innovative, bright company filled with people who are not sheep, but who are people who will have their own thoughts and opinions and ideas. And if they don't, how do you continue to be this uh, tech titan that's nimble and quick on its feet? And so I think that the company has to, to some extent, um, come to terms with with this this overall sentiment of their employee base, because if they don't, uh, you know, they won't be the smartest tech company in town. 
Change on these kinds of issues doesn't necessarily happen overnight. For sure, Facebook's leadership is seeing that their employees have a strong reaction to this and that there are limits to kind of how much they can upset their employee base on this topic. So they're trying to figure something out to keep people happy, I think. Shireen Ghaffari is a senior reporter at Recode. Mark Zuckerberg has defended his decision about Trump's posts by saying he doesn't want the platform to be an arbiter of truth. But is Facebook actually neutral? It's not just this static platform. Um, This is a thing that is algorithmically making billions of decisions every second in terms of what pieces of content deserve to be heard. When engineers tried to change the Facebook algorithm to make the platform more civil, they were thwarted. The story of how that happened after the break. This is Reset. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between so you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. We're back. Facebook really started to come under fire for its role in politics during the 2016 U.S. election. And I think there was a lot of surprise within the company at how the company's platform had been used, both for the volume of misinformation that had come about and also just sort of the level of vitriol in public discourse on the platform. Jeff Horwitz covers Facebook for The Wall Street Journal. I mean, this didn't really feel like connecting the world to make it a better place to everyone inside the company. And that was a pretty big concern. So in sort of the months before and after uh, the November election, the company started thinking a bit more about trying to understand what exactly was going on and trying to figure out why people were behaving this way and why problematic content seemed to be succeeding to the degree it was. The company formed kind of this sort of multi-pronged approach because I think this was a pretty broad level of interest. One of the prongs was this team called Common Ground, which was kind of almost academic and sociological. They were sort of trying to understand polarization and kind of why people were fighting on the platform. And then the second arm of this was kind of very much more hands-on. They were attached to the folks that were the keepers of the algorithms um, and trying to figure out ways to identify and combat uh, the prevalence of problematic stuff. 
So what did they find? So one of the things that popped up on both the common ground side, which is the more academic part, and the engineering side was that it seemed like there were a sort of a minority of users that were hyperactive on the platform and tended to also be the kind of most extreme and vitriolic in both their views and how they were going to express them. Hmm. So you'd have a situation in which kind of the the loudest voices um, were also the angriest ones. People who are spending, you know, 12, 15, 16 hours a day on the platform, their opinions probably aren't going to be representative of the average Facebook user who doesn't, right? It sounds like they found that the algorithm was putting more politically extreme content in users' feeds via these super shares. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that people who were more active were driving more engagement, right? And engagement is kind of the lodestar of the whole system. So things that would rile up people who were the most active Facebook users would have a disproportionate chance of succeeding on the platform. Hmm. Uh, And that was just going to kind of start pulling uh, dialogue in a particular direction. And was this perceived as being a problem once they actually found out how the algorithm works? Oh, by the engineers, absolutely. I mean, because this isn't just sort of some theoretical question of of how platform design should work. The engineers came across this because they were in charge of combating things like spam, hate speech, clickbait. Sort of basically a lot of the ills that the platform faced turned out to overlap very heavily with polarization and with hyperactive users. So how did the company's engineers propose to fix the problem? One sort of very straightforward and basic approach, and this isn't something that is kind of revolutionary in Silicon Valley, as some of the engineers told me. It's, you know, used in, in other products, Netflix and so forth, is perhaps to even out how much each user was going to impact what other users saw, right? So if I'm somebody who, for example, only watches cat videos on Netflix and watches them for 24 hours a day, You know, you want to prevent me from influencing what everyone else sees. Otherwise, it's going to be wall-to-wall cat videos, if that makes sense, right? That's obviously Mm -hmm. a silly example, but you you understand where I'm going. I mean, it works. (laughs) The idea then was to figure out ways to limit those sort of outlier users. There were, however, also a lot of ranking changes uh, and alterations that were supposed to be to... Uh, boost content that, that appealed to people beyond simply, you know, a single ideological perspective. Okay. Um, so, for example, Hillary Clinton should be in jail stuff, right? Like, there's going to be one group that is going to really like that, and it's not going to succeed very far outside of that. So, you could potentially try to support content that has a much more even distribution of people who agree with it. All right. So, you would sort of de-emphasize Hillary Clinton should go to jail content and emphasize, oh, I don't know, Beyonce is amazing content. Or or local news. That was actually one of the things that Facebook found was that local news was something that was in some ways um, much less subject to polarization. Okay. So this is what the engineers proposed. What was the reaction from executives when they were presented with this solution? So some of these things turned out to be more controversial than the engineers proposing them thought. And it's probably worth mentioning that um, Facebook was already under a lot of criticism from conservatives for alleged kind of tampering to suppress conservative voices. And so one of the problems that Facebook 
realized it had, or the engineers realized they had, was that it turned out the ecosystem on the far right was far larger in the United States than the ecosystem on the far left. Hmm. So in terms of, you know, sort of kind of really partisan red meat publishers, they existed on both the left and right, but there were more of them on the right. I see. And so one of the problems that Facebook had here was that any changes it made that were going to kind of curtail the success of the extreme partisans in the platform were going to do more damage to the ecosystem on the right than on the left just by virtue of its larger size to begin with. And that was a pretty awkward thing. So pretty early on, the company set up a process called the Eat Your Veggies process that was going to basically review a lot of the proposals to change the algorithms and to sort of change how things were weighted and what content succeeded, whether they were to sort of reduce clickbait or reduce spam. These things were going to have to sort of get approved by the company at large. And this group of representatives from communications, policy, marketing, legal, but probably policy being the preeminent one within it, um, reviewed all of these changes and basically determined whether they thought that the engineers were potentially overreacting or were being biased in what they were doing. Right. And it turns out a lot of the proposals that the engineers really believed were key to improving discourse on the platform either didn't make it out of this process at all or they were severely weakened. So they were pretty resistant to the idea of potentially sort of de-amplifying more conservative voices on Facebook. I mean, yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't necessarily more conservative voices so much as the most avid users of the platform, right? It's a very awkward thing if you're Facebook and, you know, you've spent most of your corporate history attempting to encourage people to spend more of their time on the platform to get more invested in it to have engineers suddenly coming to you and saying, we think the people who are most invested in the platform are bad for society. And that is a a pretty difficult thing to sort of wrap your head around, I can understand. Um, And so I I think there was a lot of concern um, that perhaps the engineers were kind of lefties that were perhaps triggered by Trump's election and were in some ways attempting to impose their own moral judgments on content. And definitely, you know, the idea of bias and algorithms, it's not like that's a crazy thought. So, you know, perhaps there was some sense for uh, the idea that this process needs supervision. And to be clear, the backdrop of all of this is that there's a longstanding debate over whether Facebook actually increases polarization, right? Yeah. So this is this is a thing that, I mean, I think from in the outside world, there's an ongoing controversy as to whether or not Facebook causes polarization or contributes to that sort of thing. Um, internally, though, and this is from the Common Ground team, there was not really much of a doubt. Uh, the the team, and I'm paraphrasing slightly here, basically concluded that left to its own devices, Facebook's algorithm was going to feed people increasingly divisive content in an effort to produce engagement. Was Mark Zuckerberg involved in any of this? You know, what did he do about all of this? Absolutely. So one moment from the the story that was really interesting to me was um, the head of... Um, integrity ranking, Carlos Gomez Arribe, someone that that Facebook had hired away from Netflix, kind of specifically to work on this stuff, was proposing something called sparing sharing. 
And what that was, was that links that were ultra popular with the heaviest users in the platform. So things that people were like sharing hundreds of times, um, you know, across the platform. The idea was to de-emphasize how much attention those publishers were going to get, right? Because clearly they were appealing to a, a fairly narrow but deeply devoted audience. This was something that, that, you know, was viewed as being just kind of from by the engineer's side as like an obvious and helpful step for the platform. And so um, this thing got kicked up to Mark. Mark Zuckerberg heard it out in uh, a fairly brief meeting and at the end basically said, go ahead and do it, but cut it by 80%. So in other words, the impact that the engineers envisioned having on the platform through this change just was gutted by 80% by that dictate. And on the way out, Mark Zuckerberg uh, told Mr. Uribe that uh, he didn't want to see anything like this again, um, which was sort of interpreted as an indication that um, the company was perhaps losing patience with this focus on social good and particularly doing it in ways that came at the expense of the most loyal Facebook users. So basically, Mark Zuckerberg hears out this proposal and says, yeah, sure, do what you need to do, but make it much less effective and, and much less strong in its impact than what you're actually proposing. Cut it by 80%. Is that what I'm getting? Yes, exactly. It kind of came to be sensed by the engineers that there were just serious headwinds to this project whatsoever and, and that the sort of the kind of goal that they'd been recruited to sort of try to reach, which was really kind of trying to alter how people talk to each other on the platform and how civil discourse uh, occurred on Facebook, mm-hmm. um, was perhaps something the company wasn't as committed to changing as they had previously believed. What do you think changed? So a few things. Um, We have to think about sort of the tremendous amount of fire Facebook was taking. Um, And something that the teams internally understood was that given Facebook's kind of reputational issues, it was going to be really hard convincing the world that they were doing something really noble and good and worthwhile. Cambridge Analytica certainly didn't help. Basically, the company was just taking fire on all sides. And under those circumstances, kind of saying, hey, uh, by the way, we also think that, you know, the way we handle engagement and sort of some of the core mechanics of our platform might be polarizing um, the world. That's a hard thing to say um, under those circumstances. And uh, then there were sort of also concerns, again, just about, you know, when push came to shove, sort of how much was Facebook really willing to restrict the people who wanted to build communities on Facebook, Um, Mm -hmm. even if those communities were in some cases potentially toxic, right? I think one of the Common Ground team folks um, uh, wrote some stuff up that that we got a hold of that talked about how some of their um, efforts were going to have to be quote-unquote anti-growth, which is not exactly a, a happy phrase in tech land, um, and that it would require a moral stance. This was not going to be easy stuff to do. Mark Zuckerberg talks a lot about how he doesn't want Facebook to be an arbiter of truth. Based on your reporting, do you think that's a fair characterization of how the platform operates? I, mean, I think one thing that when Mark Zuckerberg talks about content decisions, you know, it's really framed as like, well, should we take it down or should we leave it up? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're a First Amendment supporter, the answer is usually you should probably leave it up unless it's violating some law or doing something truly terrible. But the more interesting question that I think a lot of the engineers got very focused on 
is it's not just this static platform. This is a thing that is algorithmically making billions of decisions every second in terms of what pieces of content deserve to be heard. And so what Facebook amplifies and the decisions that go into choosing what things Facebook amplifies, these are things that, you know, the platform does have a responsibility for per a lot of the engineers and folks I talk to. And and I think that's a hard argument to dismiss. Jeff Horwitz is a reporter at The Wall Street Journal. We reached out to Facebook for comment. The company didn't get back to us by our deadline. This is Reset, and I'm Ariel Zimros. We publish episodes three times a week on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. So if you haven't already, subscribe to the pod. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or in your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. If you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at ADRS. Or you can get in touch with the Reset team by emailing reset at vox.com. We'll be back on Sunday. Later, nerds. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.